0: This is Squawk Pod, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, more on Robinhood's GameStop stumbles, the story that never ends, and the conversation heard round the Twitter. Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev talking to Barstool's Dave Portnoy.
2: The firm that's supposed to have our back is essentially the one who put us in this mess.
3: The last thing I want to do is create this problem for our customers.
2: And the reaction on Wall Street. It was fascinating to
3: watch. Dave really pushed him in some very good ways. And I give Vlad a lot of credit for actually even
4: sitting down with him.
0: Plus, the clock is ticking on stimulus. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on why Republicans say it's a bad plan.
4: This is going to do real damage to America, putting this much money out there at a time that it's not smart or surgical to
0: do it. But why a higher minimum wage could give small businesses the boost they need, with president of the Black Chamber of Commerce, Ron Busby.
5: The minimum wage would impact a large percentage of African-Americans, which would give them the extra spending cash to be able to support Black-owned businesses across the country.
0: Those stories, plus another trading platforms in the news, and more juice from the Theranos Lemon. Remember that.
3: Want to bet on this? What do you think about a comeback for Elizabeth Holmes? Do you think we'll be talking about Elizabeth Holmes in a decade from now? We're looking up on DraftKings.
0: It's Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now.
6: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I
3: don't know if you guys stayed up late to watch this. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a must-watch uh, financial TV late night. Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy faced off with Robinhood CEO, Uh, Vlad Tenev, uh, over his uh, company's conduct during the GameStop saga, Portnoy grilled Tenev on his decision to restrict buying in the Reddit hype stocks rather than freeze both buying and selling. I'm proud of the way the team handled the crisis by and large. We were able to protect the firm. We were able to prevent customers um, from having a bigger issue.
2: That's the part. How can you, in, in that line you just said, like proud of how we handled it. How can that be possible? Like you guys are billed as a firm to retail traders, yeah. And, and you screwed them over. I mean, so how you, you protected the firm, that's what you did, and that's what it seems every decision was made to protect Robin Hood, but everything that you built up as this image of catering, I mean, you literally, if yeah. you really want to protect the firm and protect, I mean, protect the customers. You wouldn't have stopped buying. It's that that decision basically had to create the price and left a ton of your customers holding the bag.
3: I, I understand how how you feel that way and how customers might feel that way, but I think we have to also protect. I mean, customers buying meme stocks rests on a foundation of our business being able to operate which rests on a foundation of the financial system working, right? If the financial system breaks down, um, things could
2: go well, out. In, and really and I don't
3: want Tenet effectively argued that if he didn't take any action, the company would have likely faced a liquidity issue in the future. He actually showed that conversation that we had the first night uh, when Vlad came on and I'd asked him directly whether he had a liquidity crisis. And he said he didn't. Um, Portnoy, showed him that clip, and then effectively went after him. The argument that that he made, that, that Portnoy made, and I, I have to say, I think Portnoy is a very smart guy, but I don't think he necessarily appreciated it. He kept saying to Vlad all night, why wouldn't you just halt trading in the stock on both sides? But that's something that an exchange would do. It's not something that that an individual brokerage would do. And if you did it at one brokerage and all the other brokerages didn't, and a lot of obviously other brokerages stopped allowing buying, but... You, you could still get your money out it was a, it was a, it was a fascinating to watch and you know dave really pushed him uh, in in some very good ways and i give i give vlad a lot of credit for actually even you know sitting down with him so i thought it was uh... I don't know if you guys stayed up to watch, uh, well, to watch Courtney, the fireworks. Well, Courtney
6: gave him credit for sitting down with him. At the end, he said, I'm not going to wish you good luck because I don't wish you good luck, but I will give you credit for, for showing up and taking these questions. And and he really went after him for, for saying one thing here and then saying something else when he was under oath with Congress, which I thought was a fair point. The idea that Vlad keeps coming back to this whole thing about, you know, we're all for protecting what we did, protected the retail broker, I mean, the retail trader, you know, there were a lot of retail traders that got cold, totally hosed by that situation. So, you know, they were protecting the, the I, I think Portnoy is right. They were protecting the firm and therefore protecting the money of the investors who were still there. But, man, that that was a raw situation for the people who were there. And it's the
3: I, truth, I, though. He said he lost
6: $700,000.
3: The truth, though, and I've thought a lot about this, is we talk about the meme traders. People were trading these Reddit stocks on, on Robinhood. And obviously, there was a huge number of people doing that. But the flip side is, you could have tried to serve, if you will, the, the 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 speculators that day. And had you tried to do that, you not only would have taken down Robinhood unto itself, but all of the other investors who are on the platform who are not speculating, which, by the way, are a majority of the people on the platform. So you have to decide, at some level, who you're trying to protect. Uh, really? in, in, a, in what is otherwise a terrible scenario that they should have never gotten themselves into uh, to begin with. Yeah, but and that's, it's, it's and an that's interesting, it's and an it's, interesting it's, thing. It's, and I, the other thing that, that struck me, and it's very true, and I, this part is where I think Dave has put, pushed the envelope in terms of what he pushed a narrative during that week around what was going on. Because the truth is, and Vlad did say it yesterday, last night, and we've t- talked about the numbers, I think, a little bit maybe on this show, but definitely on this network that week, interestingly, it's almost, it's a, almost a contrarian thought. Uh, retail investors were actually net sellers of that stock, of GameStop. And so the whole so idea... Because nobody that, would let them that, buy it. Well, no, no. If you look Monday to Wednesday prior, when everybody could could buy it or sell it, retail was actually a net seller. You can go look through the Citadel numbers and some of the other things. And so it actually... It's funny how the narrative developed in one way. But when you actually look at some of the data, it looks very different. And I think over the next couple of weeks and months, as this whole story unfolds, I think it's going to get a lot more complicated, a lot more quickly. And it's not going to just be about the retail. It's actually going to be about the hedge funds and to be about the institutions that effectively jumped on top to sort of surf this wave. And oddly enough, some of them lost.
7: There's this perception or this fantasy that the stock would still be at $350 if the the buying hadn't been disrupted that day. And stocks at 44 and change still seems like a lot. I don't know. know, Maybe they got a great business coming. But the stock went where it was going. Maybe it wouldn't have gone there as quickly as it went there. But, you know, that that one-day pause in the buying on that, you know, that's a great, you know, it sets up a... Uh, you know, a a fall guy, a a a boogeyman for who did, you know, did something wrong. But the stock under its own weight is now at 44 and and change. We'll see. Maybe it goes back to 400 uh, because now they can buy again. Everything's trading again. But I wouldn't bet on it.
6: There's a lot of anger, though, that's been directed at Robin Hood for what happened there. And in fact, some of it that we've seen play out, I don't know if you guys saw this yesterday, the trading platform Public.com is looking to try and kind of trade on all of this to capitalize on the anger at Robin Hood. It actually enlisted Michael Bolton to write a song urging people to break up with your brokerage. Listen in.
1: tell me all about it. Tell me who you sell my trades to. Tell me one thing more before I go. Tell me how am I supposed to trade without
6: you? I start feeling your hand for oh so long. <laughs> this is one of the more clever things that's come out of this. Michael Bolton stepping up, making the case for public.com to say, hey. You don't have to stay with Robin Hood if you're mad at them. Go ahead; we'll show you how to quickly right. transfer over your assets.
7: Yep, I, I, was, gonna, I was thinking, wow, he's uh, he can do what he wants. I, I was saying, well, you know, he's not doing other. Th- <laughs> that's not why he did it because I've seen him live uh, at it. Actually, at a golf tournament, where he was, where and he, his voice, he? He, yeah, he he plays golf, big golfer, big golfer at the at the mm-hmm. Hope at the. Uh, I think he's played in in the ATT, t but yeah, big golfer, good guy. But that voice, he's not. You know, he's not a small guy, but he's not a huge guy. And that voice comes out like he's, you know, Pavarotti. His voice is phenomenal. I mean, he's a, a, I don't know what it is, yeah. genetics or something, but a huge, huge talent. And that's hilarious because you could have heard a knockoff yeah. doing that ridiculous right. song, putting it, you know, changing the word. But having him <laughs> do it is, is awesome. It's really you, funny. It's you really know, the great. thing oh, that struck
3: me. Is is you, you're starting to see public get more popular, which is great to see that there's more competition in this space. But also public is a startup. And so in the same way, if there is another yeah, you meme wonder stop how deep are the scenario, for
6: any of these. How yeah. well
3: how well capitalized is that company going to be? And what I'm hoping we get to see over the next couple months is a company like public, which is trying to make the argument that they're not taking payment for water flow. I'd love to see whether they're actually able to execute the trades through the through the lit exchanges and some of the other ways that they're doing it at prices that are better than what Robinhood may or may not be doing. We've obviously heard from yeah. Vlad and Ken Griffin saying that, that they're actually getting better execution prices. So at some point, it would be great to see not just a, a fabulous ad with with yeah. Bolton, who's hilarious in that ad, but also to actually see head to head how the numbers really stack up. We should we, I'd love to go trade GameStop for a day on both on both exchanges at the exact same time and see what kind of pricing you get.
6: There is a new development in the Theranos Elizabeth Holmes case. It came late last night in a filing attorneys for Holmes accused the government of losing a database that contained three years worth of accuracy and failure rates of Theranos tests. Prosecutors allege that Theranos executives destroyed that database because it proved that the blood testing what product was inaccurate. This argument over testing evidence will be argued out before a judge next month, and that will set the stage for Holmes's much-awaited trial, which is set to begin in July. Guys, this is really kind of complicated, but the government, the prosecutors say that they asked for this information. They were given a backup drive that Theranos executives gave them the drive, but they forgot the password that they had set on it. Uh, this is they, they say that Theranos people forgot the password that was set on it. They asked for this back in 2018 and I think three months later. The main, the main uh, computer system, the LIS, the database, was destroyed. After that, they say it was done intentionally. The prosecutors say that they have email evidence um, that shows that this was done intentionally. But this is going to be just another step and in, in an incredibly compelling argument that we've watched back and forth.
3: It's a crazy case. It's a crazy case, Becky. I, I, I don't even Shakespearean. It's Shakespearean.
7: I mean, from the heights. I mean shakespearean i mean yeah you, you got that really high and really low you can't get much lower couldn't get much higher right what a okay fall. so you
3: want to bet on this what do you think about a comeback for elizabeth holmes do you think Let we'll be think talking to... about elizabeth
7: holmes in a decade from now i want to look it up on DraftKings. no not yet yeah. uh i'd put some long odds there maybe uh, who knows though they, everybody can be uh i have usability. a feeling somehow
3: we're gonna, no way. We're gonna be Come hearing on. from her again. what what how i do I don't know.
7: know, I I think. Like, what's his face? Justin Belfort or whatever his name is? To tell you how I did it so you don't get taken again?
6: Martin Screlly? we We
3: might see that too.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is not on board with President Biden's stimulus plan, his concerns, and insight into the Republican playbook.
4: It's very similar to when Barack Obama came in and they passed that stimulus bill by themselves. And remember what happened at the end of the day, a year later, more people thought Elvis was alive than the stimulus created a job.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At p it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod.
7: Good morning and welcome
0: back. Welcome back
7: to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan. Becky wanted me to say that to you. Becky Quick is her name. Andrew Ross Sorkin uh, is here as well. You want to say it, Becky? Want to say welcome back? Welcome back welcome USA? Back. Welcome, welcome back. Welcome back. With, welcome back. We assume you've been with us uh, and you didn't go anywhere, but we still think it's nice to, to thank you uh, for being here.
6: Joe, it's the Midwestern thing I think we have going on. Welcome back. We're glad to see you. See? Don't get so stuffy about that. It's
7: all to we the like earth. you. are right. You're right. Instead of forget about it. You know, and all the... No, I love New Yorkers. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love New Yorkers.
6: Yeah. Fed chair Jay Powell warning lawmakers that the full economic recovery is still a long way off. He also dodged questions about President Biden's nearly two trillion dollar stimulus proposal. Steve Leesman joins us right now with more on that. And Steve, I guess some of the dodging about the proposal or the the one point nine trillion dollar plan is not unexpected. The Fed chair is supposed to stay out of that stuff.
1: Yeah, he was, uh, I guess, call it one cool remove away, trying to say, hey, that's your business, not mine. But maybe a little further than he was in the past. But, Becky, in the two hours of testimony, Fed Chair Jay Powell was pretty steadfast that his main concerns were not the higher bond yields or the threat of higher inflation from the stimulus bill. Instead, he focused on the economy's lackluster job creation and how far the U.S. economy still has to go. The main thing that we can do is continue to
3: support Um the economy, give it the support that it needs. We're still 10 million uh, jobs below the level of payroll jobs before the crisis. There's still a long
1: way to go to full recovery, and we intend to keep our, our, our policy supportive of, uh, uh, of that recovery. All of that calm market worries, but it didn't stop the inevitable gaming out of when the Fed Might move. There are two main scenarios out there among the Fed observers. The dovish case, Fed signals a shift in the fall, reduces QE later this year or early 2022. The hawkish case, a little bit earlier, shift in the summer, reduces QE in the fall or early winter of 2021. Citibank writing that we continue to see risks as balanced towards earlier Fed action and maintain a base case for a Q4 tapering of asset purchases. In his testimony today, expect Powell to stick to his dovish outlook, but That's not the end of the story. Powell's real challenge and the challenge for investors in gaming this out comes in holding the line on easy policy in the summer. If the economy posts the kind of strong numbers we see in the rapid update forecast as a result of widespread vaccinations and business reopenings, Powell's given every indication. The gauge is not how fast the economy grows. It's how fast the jobs lost during the pandemic return. Becky?
6: You know, I was thinking about this, Steve, just the difficult task that Powell now faces as we get closer to what we hope is going to be an inflection point when it comes to the economy. I mean, he can't say we're thinking about thinking about changing things because the second he says that, that's the signal to the market, right? There is no gradual easing. You've got one shot at this and one shot alone. The second you say you're thinking about it, you might as well say you're doing it.
1: You know, Becky, how many times have we been through this talking about the terminal rate? You know, Greenspan earlier this, in this uh, decade or century, I guess now, uh, early 2000s. Um, and then Bernanke and then Yellen stopping the market from pricing in the terminal rate. And what we get is sort of like saying, folks, we're all going to eventually have to get up and leave the theater here. If we all get up slowly and walk quietly to the exits, there will be no stampede. It's the stampede the Fed chair wants to avoid because what happens is rates rise and set a level that is higher than the Fed chair or the Federal Reserve believes is right for the economy at that time. So his thinking, not thinking about not thinking about the double is trying to say, hey, we're a long way off and we're going to give it's going to be gradual and we're going to give you plenty of notice when it's going to happen. And notice what the sequencing is, Becky. It's very important. Fed chair is pretty clear that what we're going to what they're going to do first is they're going to reduce QE, bring it down before they raise rates. So there's like a double buffer in there.
6: I know, but it's still the same old thing, right? You, you, you don't get to say it twice. We're going to gradually tell you these things. We're going to gradually move on this things. But the second you do, it's like, OK, everybody up. Everybody go to the door right now. Out of here. Um, really tricky. I don't know how to better. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't know how to better maneuver that
7: the house is preparing to pass president biden's 1.9 trillion dollar covid relief bill by the end of the week uh, without the help of republicans joining us now with more on this in the state of the gop house minority leader kevin mccarthy leader mccarthy it's good to see a, a big piece in the uh, <laughs> yeah, you probably i don't know if you read it yet in the wall street journal op-ed pages from senator romney mitt romney i mean when you lose romney Uh, With the Democrat when you lose Romney. I mean, so this there must be something wrong with this. bill. Biden's stimulus bill is a one point nine trillion dollar clunker. He makes a lot of points here, one of which is that 700 billion wouldn't even be spent until after uh, the end of this year, wouldn't be spent till 2022 or after. So how is that uh, immediately fighting covid? It was his point.
4: Well, it's not fighting COVID because only 9% of this bill goes towards COVID, towards testing, vaccines, or others. $1.7 is for everything else. I mean, think for a moment. This is what the problem lies. We've done five COVID bills bipartisan. This is the first one that the Democrats just want to do by themselves. And to get the votes, what are they doing? They're putting in a special project for Nancy Pelosi, $100 million for Silicon Valley fail rail project, or a bridge for Schumer, We're watching that the money that's going for schools aren't even being spent. Ninety-five percent of it won't be spent this year, so will schools even open? You've got more than $60 billion sitting there for schools that were already appropriated. You've got a trillion dollars still sitting there that we appropriated that have not gone out. Um, A lot within this bill is a waste or a wish list from the progressives. And I think that's why they're going to have difficulty even making sure all the Democrats vote for it. It's very similar to when Barack Obama came in and they passed that stimulus bill by themselves. And remember what happened at the end of the day a year later. More people thought Elvis was alive than the stimulus created a job. But unfortunately, this is going to do real damage to America putting this much money out there in a time that it's not smart or surgical to do it.
7: In the piece, and we'll talk you know, just a little bit more about this, Then I want to get to, to some of the other stuff, but um, Senate Republicans are eager to get aid where it's needed. We want to reopen schools and, and try to give uh, people the, a, a bridge to, to more reopening, which who knows when, when that's actually coming, because, you know, we seem to, you know, there's a whole fax, and it wants, seems like they want to stay closed a lot longer than the other group of people want to. But
4: what do you want? What, what, what is essential right now? I think the three things we need to do, back to work, back to school, back to health. So I would spend more money on COVID. I wouldn't reward um, states. What they're doing is they're reversing the order of how they provide resources to the states. Those that actually shut down get more money. California just came out with a $10 billion surplus and they're going to get the biggest chunk of the money. But states with low unemployment that stayed open are actually going to be uh, in a negative uh, ability of receiving resources. So I would focus and I would give incentives to open up schools. I would give incentives for COVID vaccines and others. I would give incentives that this country starts working again. And I would be more surgical because when they just put out these checks, there's going to be people that have high income but aren't working at that time, that are receiving them, and those who really need it are not. And that go back on to small businesses that have been hurt the worst through all of this, to raise a minimum wage that isn't based upon locality, is only going to do more damage and more job losses. Look, we don't need another study. We know what happened in Washington when Seattle, which is wealthy, they lost jobs when they right. raised it. We watched in Long Beach, two, two grocery stores, they closed once they said, give them four more dollars for working during the pandemic. This is real economic problems that they're gonna hurt the lowest income. And this isn't going to those who need it most.
7: So the, one of the things that uh, I think with Andrew, I think it was where Senator Romney also said, if, if President Trump, former President Trump decides to run uh, in four
8: years, that he would be the presumptive nominee. I look at the polls and the polls show that among the names being floated as potential contenders in 2024, if you put President Trump in there among Republicans, he wins in a landslide.
7: There are some polls that have him at 54 percent among Republicans with the next closest uh, Vice President Pence at 11 or 12 and everybody else in in single digits.
4: Do you agree with that? Leader, well, well, right now, yes, that's where the poll says. But remember, when President Trump first started running with 17 others, he wasn't in the lead then, too. Four years is a long way away. But I think when you sit back and look at policies, I think the President Trump's policies are very popular. But okay. four years is a long time away. Let's you, make sure that we're able to win uh, where we're going right now. And let's take w- back the House. Would you
7: uh, would you be a, a backer? And... and- I don't know whether you're in a forthcoming mood today, but did that conversation really occur where uh, you said, who do you think you're talking to? And he said, well, I think people, uh, some voters are a lot more upset than you are with the outcome. Is that an accurate conversation
4: that happened, Leader? Look, I, I've talked to all that I'm going to talk about on that. Segment, oh, on that
7: I, I, I thought uh, you were in a forthcoming mood. All right, <laughs> right, let me let me let me let me ask you this. then. Here, sure. Dominion voting systems yeah. is filing suits left and right. They filed a one point three billion dollar defamation lawsuit. What world is this against the MyPillow guy? Uh, you Lindell. wouldn't have believed any of this. Mike Lindell, the company accuses Lindell of repeatedly claiming Dominion used this technology to steal a 2020 election win away from. President Trump, despite knowing that wasn't backed by evidence. I'm leading into a soundbite. We're going to play the false claim that Trump actually won the election, formed the core of rioters' anger when they attacked the Capitol on January 6th, which was my birthday. Uh, anyway, here's Dominion CEO talking with our Eamon Javers on closing bill uh, last night. The larger point really is to get the facts on the table in front of a court of law where evidence is properly judged. Uh, in this particular case, we have Mr. Lindell who advertised absolute truth, and all he produced was absolute nonsense. And like others, uh, he touted so-called evidence, uh, yet he produces fake documents. And just like others, uh, they refuse to take these claims to court where evidence is properly weighed by a judge. Dominion CEO also told Eamon that more uh, lawsuits are definitely on the way. The, the speech itself, and it, you know, it's been bandied back and forth, what caused things. People say it was already planned. But leading up to it, Leader McCarthy, it wasn't just a week or two of, of challenging certain irregularities. It went on much longer than most people th- should have thought. And, and there was a lot of incendiary language. Do you still blame or assign some blame to President Trump uh, for that? And, and I also, the, the, the actions of the president after it was already starting, where some people have said that it seemed like he he actually was okay with what was going on or pleased with what was going on. Can
4: you comment on any of that? The only thing I would say, he he wasn't pleased what was going on. I I did speak to him that day. He wasn't pleased what was going on. He didn't ask the people to go into that building. But when I sit back and look, you know, there's blame to go around. I stand by my statement. But I also sit back and think for one moment, if you you look at the whole perspective, um, I think everybody in this country, when we talk about how now we we go after people that members of Congress are writing letters to cable industries not to run networks. They're writing letters to Amazon not to print books. Now we're going after free speech and others. Um, I think we've walked through this. I think they've tried to impeach this president twice. We've watched that. It's, a lot of it's political. Nobody supports what went on on January 6th. We believe everybody should be prosecuted who entered that building. I was in the building. I, I was escorted out of that building as they were coming into my office. So, no, uh, I got things stolen in my office. I had zip ties left in my office. Um, nobody supports that, and the president didn't support that. Um, right. So I think we have to look at it by all the evidence. That's the most important way that we should.
7: do When you met with President Trump, he uh, he's interested in helping win back the House in, in 2022 is is will he be a big asset there? In your view, will the will the memory of of what happened? I mean, with, certainly with with Democrats, he, it, he almost seems like, well, you've seen that they don't want even to get buried at Arlington. So that, yeah, there's going to be no rehabilitation. Well, he was never popular. But with with Republicans, do you think that 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 will help win back the
4: House with President Trump's help? Look, I I think the president is helpful. The one thing I know that our elections are about ideas. Elections are a a question of what is in the voters' mind that day. The one thing I do realize in this last election, for the first time since 1994, no Republican incumbent lost an election. Fifteen Democrats lost their election, and they lost it by a Republican woman or a Republican minority. This is the smallest Democrat majority since 1870. So when I look at history, yes, Republicans are in a very good position. Republicans are led and always have been by the power of the idea. So at the end of the day, the only thing that will help Republicans, whether they gain the majority or not, to have better ideas than what the Democrats have. And today, if that decision is going to be based upon them pushing forward this 1.9 trillion bill that only 9 percent goes to COVID, I think Republicans are going to win the majority.
7: All right. Leader McCarthy, you'll you'll be back. Uh, Thank you. Think of, okay, I'll
8: be
4: back.
7: You'll be back. Thanks. We we'll, we'll, we like having you on, and we'll we'll see you again soon.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, what a larger minimum wage would mean for the 2.6 million Black-owned businesses in America, with President of the Black Chamber of Commerce, Ron Busby.
5: The American economy could use a boost. And what you're looking for from our community is what we're looking for businesses and looking for additional customers that have dollars in their pockets. I think this would accelerate that movement and that opportunity as well.
0: We'll be
9: right back.
6: This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. The debate over raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour isn't an easy one. The Senate and House Democrats are split over its inclusion in President Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package. Some Republicans now propose a new plan for a $10 minimum wage. Opponents are arguing that it will force small businesses to shed workers. Supporters like the U.S. Black Chamber argue that it's going to reduce pay inequality and say that they are in favor of it. Joining us right now is Ron Busby. He is president and CEO of the U.S. Black Chambers. And it's great to see you this morning, Ron. Thanks for being with us.
5: Thank you for having us on this morning.
6: Let's talk, first of all, just about the minimum wage, because that's been a pretty contentious issue in terms of including that with the COVID relief plan. That plan is uh, tied up in Congress right now. It's not going to easily pass. In fact, probably the earliest that President Biden can expect to see it on his desk is at least three weeks from now. What do you say about $10 minimum wage? First of all, should it be included in the pandemic relief bill?
5: I think all relief to small businesses, particularly black owned businesses is going to help. I think that the minimum wage is an issue that most black businesses understand that's important. The majority of black owned businesses, twofold, one of the 2.6 million black owned businesses across the country, 2.5 million really have no employee base. We have 1099. We have subcontractors, family members, and a lot of cash and carry. So the majority of us are already paying in excess to the minimum wage as well as the majority of Black-owned businesses, their number one concern is really increased customer availability of cash. And so for them, they're saying the minimum wage would impact a large percentage of African-Americans, which would give them the extra spending cash to be able to support Black-owned businesses across the country. So for the U.S. Black Chamber, we are in favor of the increase of the minimum wage
6: you sat down with vice president harris earlier this uh, earlier this month along with uh, janet yellen the treasury secretary in terms of the things that your businesses are looking for right now what's at the top of the list
5: obviously uh, we're looking for an inclusion of support financially uh, to get through the covid-19 this next period of time during the last uh, 12 months especially uh, this time last year we actually saw that over the course of much between February and April, we actually lost 41% of Black-owned businesses. And of those businesses that are still in operation, many of them, 47% said that without some additional support, they will also go out of business. And so the majority of our businesses are looking for uh, additional financial support from the federal government. They're also looking for additional uh, investments as opposed to just grants and long-term loans as well as looking for additional contract opportunities. As we look at infrastructure bills, we want to make sure that the infrastructure happens in our communities that are being contracted with black owned businesses. And in turn, those black owned businesses hire from within those communities so that there is a true all impact effect as it relates to our black communities and black businesses.
6: You know, I, you didn't mention minimum wage is one of the top issues that you all are looking for right now. And I, I know you're in favor of raising the minimum wage, but it would be fair. Would it be fair to say that you'd like to see this other fiscal relief come first um, and then worry about the minimum wage later? Or do you think it's important to be wrapped into to this particular bill?
5: I don't know if it has to be in this particular bill. I don't want this uh, issue to hold up uh, the additional funding that the businesses across America need. But I do believe that the minimum wage needs to be addressed. I would hate for us to have to go through an opportunity like this to really address uh, the needs of uh, America businesses across the country. Uh, And so I would hope that we'd be able to do both at the same time. Uh, But in reference to black owned businesses, our primary concern is access to capital, access to contracts and opportunities. uh, And then we'll look at and how to deal with the minimum wage but I would hope that they would not uh, stop or slow down the progress of this uh, American Rescue Plan, uh, trying to make sure that both the Republican as well as the Democrats can agree upon the minimum wage.
3: Hey, Ron, I-, I talked to Mitt Romney uh, about his plan last night. He was talking about $10 uh, an hour. And the rationale for his $10 an hour, which I-, which I know you think is too low, is effectively that if you, when you look at the CBO score, the, cur- the $15 scores you at losing 1.4 million jobs.
8: $10 scores you at losing no jobs. The worst part of 15 uh, is that it means, uh, according to the Congressional Budget Office, that we'll lose 1.3 million jobs. Uh, and the reason for that, of course, is that uh, the minimum wage right now is seven twenty five an hour. Going to $15 an hour is such a huge leap. That a lot of small businesses just won't be able to make it. They won't be able to survive with those kind of numbers, and so they'll go out of business, and people will lose their jobs. Uh, and so, instead, moving to ten dollars, and then thereafter, as we propose, moving with inflation, uh, make sure that we get people a living wage, and we do so without costing jobs.
3: How do you even How do you even begin to th- to think about that distinction? Distinction, and could you phase something in over a period of time, Me- meaning? go to 10, then go to 12, then go to 15, so that you don't get into a situation where you could potentially lose any jobs.
5: Yeah, I think that the current bill, as the way it's laid out, is that this minimum wage would be rolled out over a period of time. Uh, And in reference to a $10, we've not seen an increase uh, in the minimum wage over the last 10 years. And so you're really looking at dealing with the lowest uh, income bracket in America, they really need to be addressed. Uh, I do agree that we could have some conversations about what the right number is. I do believe that $10 is too low. Uh, I believe that the American economy could use a boost. Uh, and what you're looking for from our community is where we're looking for businesses. Uh, and what we're talking to them. They're all saying they're looking for additional customers uh, that have dollars in their pockets. I think this would accelerate that movement and that opportunity as well.
6: Ron, well, I want to thank you for being with us today. It's really good to see you, and we'll hope you come back.
5: I'm right, looking forward to it. Love to have you uh, join us as well. Thank you.
6: And that's the show for
0: today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod for the best interviews and, hey, cool kid analysis on meme stocks. You remember
6: BlackBerry?
7: BlackBerry would be about 1000 bucks a share if you had your way, Becky, because of your thumb type.
6: No, no, no. I'm the iPhone now. I know. Up I know.
7: Go. I mean, Here's that was a tough transition mm-hmm. for you. I, I had to give a prick. It
6: price. was. I made it and we'll meet you
0: back here tomorrow. I
3: think it's time I must be moving on Gonna transfer all my stuff and I'll be
0: gone
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.